All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Comet ML Office Hours powered by the Artist Data Science. Super happy to have all you guys here. Thank you for joining us. I know it is a bit of a um, unusual thing that happens every year with daylight savings. I know some people around the world are probably uh, wondering why when they show up, the office hours aren't happening because it's probably happening an hour earlier than what you're used to. Um, but happy to have you here. We got we got Asha here so far, and that the the attendance will slowly start to uh, to pick up. But before we start getting to some questions, Ideally, let's talk about being a generalist versus specialist. So, what do you think? What's what's kind of your view on this? Yeah. I personally, I think there is a lot of power in being a generalist, generalist, but I think it depends on the kind of industry you're in and the work environment. So that's where I've thought about this split between having a specialization in something and super deep specific knowledge or having more of a general end-to-end knowledge. I think that I have been somewhat more of a generalist in my career, Um, but at the same time, I still see value in spending extended chunks of time working just on NLP or just on computer vision. So um, it depends on where you're coming from job history wise and where you want to go, I'd say. Yeah, I, we're talking about this um, during our office hours as well on on Friday about generalizing and specializing. Like for someone like me who is very, very just intellectually curious, I just want to learn as much as I can about a number of different topics. So my kind of philosophy and viewpoint is really develop an understanding of the basics of the fundamentals, right? And that's everything from, you know, coding to stats and math and just a general understanding of the machine learning lifecycle and process. And with that solid foundation, learning anything new isn't too much of a stretch, right? Like, for example, I've never once done an NLP project or deployed an NLP model because I haven't had an opportunity to do that yet in my career. But I know that when the time comes for me to actually start implementing some of this stuff, it might be three days of, you know, research time and understanding time, and then maybe four or five days of playing around and I'll eventually get it and be able to start delivering value for my for my company. So that's kind of like my viewpoint of it. Like I'm I'm very much for the generalist just because when you're a generalist, you get exposed to many, many, many different problem statements. As a result of that, I think you might be able to better match a strategy to a problem type if you're exposed to a bunch of different things. Exactly that. I think that of every time I've worked with something new like computer vision or NLP, um, I did exactly what you said. So I'm kind of presented with a new problem. I'm like, okay, I have got a couple of days of pure research trying to understand the other ways and solutions to deal with these problems in this space. Um, I think that's the one thing that's hard as a generalist is keeping your ear to the ground to some of the things that are really deep inside a specialization. Um, but aside from spending that those days on research and then toying around before you can start doing like serious modeling, um, I don't think it takes that much necessarily for a generalist who's got really solid core skills to then apply that to a specific area or a specific data type. Yeah. And it's, it's also like kind of the trade-off for, for, uh, I don't want to say trade-off for time, but it really is like, you know, as a, as a specialist, if you just dedicate yourself to just studying one thing and just go deep on that, that's great. But then do you kind of pigeonhole yourself as to being the person for this, like for this particular type of problem? Um, yeah. I don't know exactly the point I was trying to make, but I guess my point that I'm trying to make was that um, when hey, you're hey, Susan Walsh, you're here. 
oh look at the state of me though i was like i can't have heartbeat on his own no thank you for joining yeah yeah we're trying to get trying to get uh people into the the session because yeah, I've, I've got my, my tea here so you have to excuse me while i munch away oh yeah absolutely dude don't do not worry um yeah we're talking about generalizing versus specializing for for your career oh i've got loads of ideas on that yeah let us know when you want to when you want to chime in i'm definitely like excited to hear what you think about that so let's do it yeah so what do you think generalizing or specializing super super niching down has paid dividends to me um i started out pretty niche anyway but trying to be everything to everybody um this was from a business point of view but i think it works the same with careers as well um as soon as i really honed in on a specific skill and started talking about that people started to take interest um you what 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 is that specific skill that you decided to kind of double down and niche down into yeah so i classify spend data so i take financial data um from a client who normally comes in a csv um, and it can be anything from a couple of thousand rows up to a couple of million rows of data um, I have developed my own methodology in a tool called Omniscope. So I normalize the data, I cleanse it, um, deduplicate if needed, um, you know, reformat the columns, merge it if it comes from multiple sources, um, and give them back a wonderfully cleansed and classified data set that they can suddenly, for the first time in their life, know how much they're spending on office supplies or legal services or whatever. It- and yeah, it, it really paid off. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. niche because that's a niche that you go deep into, but the, the range that you're able to apply that in terms of industries and companies. Oh, is really I work wide. across the, the industries that I work across include manufacturing, market research, um, retailers, broadcast companies, um, pharma, medical, uh, education. So yeah, it's niche, but it's it's wide. And I think um, I've been extra lucky in that, you know, I started out just specifically targeting procurement people because that's who my clients are. But as a wonderful side effect, I've fallen into the data world because actually a lot of what I'm talking about is also relevant to the wider data world as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I started, I might have been doing offering the classification, but if I might have been offering cleansing as well. Whereas I now say, you know, I do classification. I also do other bits, but I focus in on the classification. Yeah, I like that. So that that's that's an example of niching that just has such wide kind of applicability whereas if you niche in just like one specific thing like i'm just computer vision it's like okay well you're kind of limited to very one small well you are but aren't you increasing your value because there's only one or two of you so yeah Yeah. that's an important point that's that's the next point i want to make is is to really maximize value it's this concept of combining skills that are different right yeah and being the best at a intersection of skills i think is extremely extremely valuable right so mm-hmm. for example like i don't know how many th- there's a handful obviously of data scientists who are slash podcasters and mentors like this little weird intersection that i've created for myself yeah as a data scientist who does this type of stuff it just creates opportunities for me that might seem lucky to other people but really it's yeah i'm writing a data book yeah. i mean that's like even a year ago, if you'd said that, I would have been like, what? No way. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Karen, John? About- yeah, I have a question, uh, yeah. Karen. Uh, sorry, Susan. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. 
So Susan, when you say you're cleansing data, that is your this, your specialization, right? Uh, yeah. Can I ask you uh, how you're cleansing your data? Are you using certain a certain type of tool to cleanse it, or or yeah? Uh, so this, it's, it's is that called... is that your specialty, cleansing the the data? Yeah, and I think the difference um, for me is that I really enjoy it. So okay. it's, I enjoy the process of doing it. So I, I do it in a tool called Omniscope. So it's a data modeling and visualization tool. And um, I can have um, like aggregated tables at the top and then the tables of data at the bottom. I can have visualizations and charts at the top, interrogate the data, find something's wrong, edit it in the table below, that fixes the raw data, immediately it's updated. So it's the only tool I know that can do that. I see. Uh, and, and so it means that I can like change, I can, uh, you know, I've got methods to check and change things really quickly that you just couldn't do in other tools. And, and interestingly, I, I'm writing the book at the moment and I'm, I'm actually doing that, um, showing everyone how to do it in Excel, which is a really long and lengthy process, but um, to make it kind of wide, widely available to everybody so that anyone could pick up the book and do it. Um, awesome. I've, I've, I've done it in, in Excel, but I'm going to have a section um, around the tools that I use, which literally shave days off of, of cer- certain projects, you know, and weeks. When, yeah. when is your book releasing or target release? Well, um, the, the deadline to get it written is the 2nd of April. Um, so then it should be out within six months. So, From, yeah. Okay. So yeah. somewhere uh, in the end of the year, kind of. Yeah, October, yeah. November. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. All right, cool. That brings me to this, Thanks. like... This, this thing that I'm working on at work, right, which is it's developing a data strategy for like this massive organization, right? And this is not a skill I don't think that many data scientists have. We're, I mean, most data scientists really at the end of the day, we're end users of data. Would you agree with that, Ayodeli? I would say so. In the ways that we touch it, we are less so in any of the planning and phases of um <laughs> The, the organizational pieces to, to have an actual data strategy. I don't think I've seen a lot of data scientists um, on that side. And this is going to be a unique intersection for, for me after I go through this project, right? Like developing a data strategy, understanding kind of the lineage of data from how it is generated in the real world to then being able to model it, like that whole kind of spectrum, that whole life cycle is something that most data scientists do not get exposure to. And that's like a unique intersection. Now I become a strategist who understands data scientists. Have you ever had to implement like a data strategy, Adeli? And I'm wondering if you had any challenges that you foresee me facing in the near future? You know, truthfully, I haven't. Um, I have, I think you're right in saying that like the vast majority of roles are end users and building new things. But um, yeah, I haven't really played a role on the initial side to, to set that up. Yeah, it's like, I've got, I've got like books here that are referred to. Uh, I've got the modern data strategy book and the data management toolkit and then recently i've been reading uh scott taylor's book telling your data story and i find it like this book is relevant to where i'm at right now because i've got executive like stakeholder buy-in and i've got plans for how we're going to start identifying our business drivers and where we're going to scope things out and then from there it's now okay once we have clarified our scope and clarified the business units we want to approach for this particular prototype now it's a matter of me selling 
this to them. So I have to tell a data story and Scott's book has been tremendously helpful for that. Um, Highly recommend it if you guys find yourself in this position, which is an uncomfortable position for me to be in, dude. Like I'm just, I'm a statist, I'm a statistician, I'm a, you know, machine learning practitioner. Like this is really out of my element, and uh, I can't say that I enjoy it. But I know that on the other side of this is going to be uh, invaluable, invaluable skills. A uh, heartbeat. You said you were uncomfortable with the data storytelling. What What does that mean? What 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 does data storytelling mean? Is it uh, just so in the way Scott talks about it in his book? There's two different types of data storytelling. There's analytic storytelling where you're trying to communicate, convey insights. And then there's storytelling in the sense that, okay, we've got to get people to start changing their behaviors and changing their processes and then telling them a story about how their lives can benefit if they get their data in in order and managed properly. And for somebody who doesn't really understand their business processes, it's going to be a lot of digging and interviewing and communicating and then articulating their pain points as a data story and saying, well, you know, if we had proper data management in practice, this is what life could be like, right? Yeah, I guess I'm in that same situation too with my current company, right? Trying to get their buy-in and, you know, trying to see if we can do a data strategy. But at first I need to prove them that, you know, just taking the database, whatever they have and seeing the benefits that comes out of it first. I need a story first in the analytics side, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And then perhaps then maybe they'll be buying into the data in terms of, you know, hey, if you do data, this is what will happen to your company. And here's the thing, like you don't necessarily, not every company needs to be super advanced with their analytics. It could start with something as easy as finding a instance where two people are creating a report on the same information, but yet their reports differ, right? That's a good use case. Like, you know what? You guys are talking about the number of customers. Well, finance says we have this many customers and customer service says we have this many customers. Like, why are there discrepancies? Have we not agreed on what a customer means? Are we not counting them properly? Do we have multiple versions of the truth? How do we reconcile all of that and make it consistent throughout the organization, right? Because without that, like your work as a data scientist is is complete shit, right? Like this company that I used to work at, it's a yeah. tech company, a tech startup, right? Zero data management whatsoever. And it just made my life complete hell because I could not get them answers. They'd come ask me questions, a question as simple as how many people are using our product, right? And it's like, dude, you guys are like not even collecting your data properly. Like you're overriding rows in a table and oh my God, it was horrible. And like I couldn't get answers. And not only that, nobody else knew what the answer was either. It's frustrating. Okay. I think that's definitely what kicks off a lot of organizations recognizing that they need a data strategy is that they've gone through the process. They've hired data scientists because they hear they're supposed to be doing machine learning. And then you go and run a basic report and either your databases aren't set up correctly or it's not a good source of ground truth. And it really leaves like data scientists stuck in the mud and stuck in a really hard place. Um, I know a person who has a lot of other uh, resources around uh, corporate data strategies is Lillian Pearson. I believe she's the author of uh, Data Science for Dummies. Um, But I've seen a lot of her work that is really based on how do you start this data strategy um, wherever you're working. So that might be another good uh, resource. Yeah, I'm interviewing Lillian next Saturday, the 27th, um, and we'll be talking about that. Uh, That's going to be a very uh, 
a, a very prevalent theme in our conversation is this data strategy. Oh, so definitely. By the way, Harpreet, I love your podcast. Uh, you have some very interesting people in there. I just want to let you know. So I, I listen to it while I'm walking or, you know, while I'm, you know, having dinner or something like that, especially while I'm walking. So just keep doing what you're doing. Great people, great podcasts. So love it, love it. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoy it. Like there's moments where I'm just, because it's a lot of work. And it pulls me away from a lot of different things. And there's just moments where I'm just like, is this worth it? Is this what I, like, why am I doing this? Like, what am I hoping to achieve from this? Why am I doing this? Um, but then I hear people like you, like, you know, make these comments and it, it makes makes it all worth it. Like there's one of my mentees from Data Science Dream Job, Naresh, who I'm surprised isn't here. He's usually in, in all the meetings. He was saying he liked that episode. He shared it with a friend at one a particular episode, shared it with a friend. And the friend was just like, wow, man, that was like really insightful. It, kind of helped get him out of a rut. I was like, all right, well, there you go. That's having an impact. That's having an effect. So yeah, yeah. Keep doing it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I got a bunch of cool stuff happening. Like my one year episode should be dropping in three or four weeks on April 9th. Uh, and that episode is going to be released with Robert Green, author of 48 Laws of Power. So that's going to be a uh, a big one for me. Uh, but yeah, let's open up for questions. I know, Asha, you've been sitting here patiently for quite some time. I'm happy to take on your question if, if you... Yeah, if I, I have a question. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so um, so data scientists, right, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a broad area. I'm, I'm just wondering, is there, whether it's data scientists or data analysts, uh, any... Uh, are there different flavors of data scientists like uh, uh, or data analysts? I, I don't see that spoken very much in, in, in whether it's LinkedIn or in my readings. Nobody kind of segments them in different groups. Are there different flavors of them? And if so, what are they? Yeah, Adeli, what do you, what do you think? I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yes, I think, I definitely think there's a lot of different flavors specifically of data scientists because it is... I think in business, way more broad than most analyst roles, I'd say. Um, about which flavors there are, I think that's hard because we could consider a lot of like the specializations of flavor. Like if you are a generalist, you um, maybe, I think flavors of also like industry as in um, specific industries that are really hard to break into without prior knowledge or experience. So um, a lot of people who are doing data science at like the big tech companies are doing a lot of like product data science. They're looking at churn rates, analytics. Those are very things basic things that you would be expected to know. Um, I'd say things like healthcare and finance would probably be their own flavors in that, um, at least as far as I've seen resume-wise, a lot of data scientists in these roles had other uh, job titles in finance prior or in healthcare prior. Um, and it just has, a, I think it poses a little bit of a higher barrier to entry um, without a little extra, like, it's not really specialization, but that extra domain knowledge. So um, I'd say there's probably still a lot more, but I think that you can look at it as skill set or uh, industry based as a couple different ways we have flavors of data scientists. So for somebody who wants to break into data science, what would be a good industry to get in first, maybe? Or should I pose it in a way um, if, if the programming language? OK, two two ways. One is what would be a good industry to break in if you're the first uh, brand new data scientist? 
That's one one way of looking at it. The second way is if you're not strong in programming or stats or algebra or whatever, what would be a good industry to get, get in? I guess I'm looking at two ways. I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious based on your experiences and so forth. Oh, what are your thoughts on those? For the first part, um, really, I think personally, I think product analytics, um, and that's the that's a lot of what you would be looking at at a lot of big tech companies. Uber, really um, well known orgs. Most data scientists are looking at their product and not really working on like deep learning on self driving, right? Like, um, so if you're looking for the broadest range and probably the area with the most jobs um, and the most entry level jobs, um, those roles will give you an understanding about things like churn rates and the and conversions, all of the things things that are important to a large number of companies. As far as like industries that are slightly easier to break into, um, I'd say that's hard um, because it's dependent on what kind of experiences you have prior. So um, if you have, and I've said this to a lot of people, but if you, like me, I worked in marketing. So I sit as a data scientist in the marketing department and I've done a lot of data science on marketing data. So whatever your either kind of prior career was or what you're transitioning from, um, that's where I would start and look at the closest industries adjacent to or um, companies that do similar things that maybe have openings for folks in data science. Yeah. I'd say even like, like data science, like you mentioned, is a broad umbrella category. There's so many different pieces to it, right? Like to me personally, I consider BI to be part of data science. Like that's in the data science umbrella, right? So if you want to find a role where like you mentioned you're not doing like hardcore coding you don't you're not doing a bunch of research or having to know all these quantitatively rigorous concepts and maybe that is an avenue that you might find interesting because you get to work with data you get to help communicate insights and and drive the business forward so that might be an avenue um, but data science is such a huge broad umbrella category like I, I find there's uh, that the paths I've I've seen through you know data science dream job is there's people that come to it from a software engineering background mm-hmm. who probably are more tailored towards like ML engineer type roles. And then there's people who come from an academic background or a stats background who then have to learn coding. And those people might prefer a research environment or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. When you say research or heartbeat, what do you mean by that? Like in academia or like research in a, in a company or startups? Yeah. In what a exactly? Company. Like to me, I, I would consider any role that doesn't work on a two week sprint type of environment to me those are research roles and i personally love those type of roles because if you're working in these two week sprints you're typically on a product team i would say mm-hmm. uh, would you agree with that Iodeli? absolutely i think especially for companies that are smaller um it's easier to it's easier to do some of this research in that your data science work is both based on experimentation so you might be spending a lot of time obviously creating models, but you're not really working to, cool, I have a model that's at version one, we need to get version two tested and ready to go to be in the product for the next update. So I'd say that's kind of the difference between more research-focused data science and industry. Okay, so experimentation is like research is is what you're saying. And and these are models. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like the role that I have right now, like at, at Price Industries, it's very much it's a research focused role. They they brought me in saying, you know what, we've got a problem that we think would be well suited for data science and machine learning. Can you investigate this problem and see if you can come up with a solution, right? And that involved, you know, quite a bit of research and, and lead time. Like I wasn't building a, a a product and having to constantly update that product and add new features to it or remove features or do A-B testing or anything like that. It was just, all right, can this problem be solved, right? And can I use my methodology to solve this problem? And once I develop a prototype, okay, great, let's input it into the system uh, that it is going to be serving predictions as a part of. So. so so, you do need some, you do definitely do need uh, coding skills in that area. Am I right? Yeah, yeah cause I mean, like I, I built a ready to deploy model, right? So it wasn't gotcha, just something, gotcha. it wasn't just like something I developed in a Jupyter notebook and saved as a pickle file. Like it was an entire pipeline from grabbing the raw data from one place to then, you know, developing the model. And then after that, getting all the metrics Deploying. to make sure, yeah, make sure that the model was performing adequately once it was deployed. Mm-hmm. So I have another question. Sorry, I, I'm just like bombarding questions here. No, it's all um, so, so I, I, I was listening to a uh, AWS AI panel talk, maybe I think it was on Friday last week. Um, and I was posing this question where, uh, to be honest, I, I'm still learning Python. I'm not very strong at it just yet. I, I know the basics and stuff like that. And, um, and it'll take me a while to kind of get strong at it. So then as I was posing this question, I was asking them, you know, different data related roles and, you know, where I can kind of get in quickly instead of waiting for me to get really good at programming and then becoming a data scientist a year or two, which I don't have the time for. I want to get in and get a few for data and start working little projects. So someone was saying in that uh, panel, maybe ML ops is one way uh, to is one way to kind of get a feel for data and stuff like that. So I was kind of confused by that. Why would ML ops be, would be related for somebody like me who's not strong in programming? Are we just looking through the pipeline, just seeing that the model is working and, you know, highlight that? And if it's not working, let the data scientists know. Is that what it is? I mean, uh, I'm just kind of curious to get your feedback from everyone. Iodeli is going to be the expert here since yeah. common ML is... Uh, yes, for me. I would say... It's still really important in that um, I can speak as someone who has not had experience with MLOps early on in my career. Um, When you start to get uh, data science jobs where you are deploying models, building pipelines, or even working on teams that are at that stage, it gets so much more messy and complicated, I think, than we really expected it to. Um, So I think a lot of... I can speak to my graduate school experience. Um, We got to pickling our models and then like throwing it to somebody else to do it. Um, But what MLOps allows us to do is first it's the documentation piece. So um, I've been on teams of data scientists that are like, we have 40 people on our team. Um, As you can imagine, there are a lot of times where we are overlapping in our work. Um, There's a lot of times where we are human. And so we slack on that like data set documentation. We slack on our model documentation, but we go through all the steps to train a model. And at the end, we're collaborating with our teammates and, oh, I just can't get it to work on your computer. Or those, and those being the hangups that take days
days and days um, has obviously cost like companies a lot of money. So um, ML Ops gets us to first better documentation because it logs all of the um, environments, the hyperparameters when you build a neural network. Um, if you're working with any kind of modeling, it'll save off all of your model metrics. And so then at least for Comet's product, you can go and compare how these models did against each other. So if you, um, you're you in this research experimentation role, you built 15 different models it's so incredibly hard to pinpoint which is the best model exactly when it converges um, when we're not using like tools that just track this for us. And I think like I've seen advice from really like senior deep learning people who are like, oh, you know, I just use spreadsheets and note down and copy and paste my model metrics all the time. I'm like, that's really difficult. That's not a good process because it's manual and we mess up and I've had copy and paste issues with, I mean, it's common. So despite the fact that you may not be like doing a lot of the heavy coding, it's important to understand that like a lot of the pain points you would face, you don't have to because you can use tools to like avoid you having to deal with those problems. So I think that's why I think especially early in a career, it's good to understand at least what MLOps uh-huh. is. So it's documentation, tracking um, of your experiments, as well as tracking models when they're already in production, understanding um, because we can have accuracy drifts over time or when we get real world data that hits our model, um, it's hard to tell why they start misbehaving. So it helps us um, pinpoint and debug, first of all, because I think that's the biggest um, problem in building machine learning models and deploying them is trying to then debug why they aren't working. Mm, okay. So is, is this is this area fairly new, MLOps? Is that what uh, people are trying to understand the models and trying to document it and you know, track it? Is this a fairly new field? Absolutely. Oh, so, oh I um, see. This has been maybe, I would say maybe about five-ish years that it's oh, kind wow. of been okay. talked about a lot more recently. Um, but because really large enterprise tech companies are putting models into production and they realize, okay, we're making decisions about really important things. Mm-hmm. We were not able to understand why they're going wrong. And I think a lot of tools like Comet have come up because really, really important models like for healthcare, for policing, for all of these things, we should be able to investigate why. <laughs> and okay. um, by using a tool, it's it's easier than relying on individuals. Um, right. and, and yeah. So if you're using a tool uh, to uh, for the ML ops, just to see how the model is behaving and so forth, um, what skills do you need? What skills does a person need in order to, and I know one thing for sure, they have to understand the tool for sure. What are the things that do they need to be educated or be aware of or skills that they need to have? The biggest piece and some of this does come with experience is an understanding of what looks right and what, what looks right for your data. Um, Cause it's not going to be the same, obviously as someone in a different company. Um, but when I say that, I mean, um, it's hard to identify like if something's going wrong, if you don't have really like domain expertise. So I do think that's part of it. Um, I would also say like a good statistical background to know, um, you know, 
certain that like you want a lower like R squared or something like that. Like you have to understand where you want your models to be. So it's easy to lump that into overall just data science experience. Um, but an understanding specifically about evaluation metrics, um, a deep understanding about like machine learning evaluation metrics, I would say is the is the most important thing to then use a tool like Comet effectively. Okay. Just an example of what life looks like when you don't use a tool like Comet. Um, when I would do cross-validation, I would be writing everything to the log, right? Which hyperparameter configuration I got, what were the evaluation metrics and how long it took to run. And then I would literally take line by line from the log and you know, at first I would, I would just put it all into a spreadsheet and then I got smarter with programming. I learned to put it into like a pandas data frame and do it myself. Uh, but like a tool like Comet, just, it does all of that for you. Like I don't even need to create graphs or anything. Like it streamlines everything. It's quite nice. I see. I see. Okay. And, and, and is that, I, I see a lot of machine learning mod, ML ops. Is that DL ops, deep learning ops? Is that such a thing? <laughs> I'm just kind of curious. I think thus far it's been lumped in with ML ops and that gotcha. I haven't mm-hmm. seen much that's deep learning specific. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I'll open it up to for anyone else who might have questions. Awesome. Hey, good to see Mark here, man. It's been a while. Uh, let me uh, flip it over to Asha because I know she was the first one here waiting patiently. So if you got a question, go for it. You are currently muted. so yeah. That's been happening a lot. Yeah. Uh, my biggest question, okay, one question. My question is, what's the biggest challenge you've come across during your whole field, like as a data analyst and what, what are the things you've learned that you could have avoided this? What are the little hacks you've learned a- along the way? Oh, man. That's a good question. Uh, I'm going to take some time to think on this. I'll flip it over to whoever else wants to go first. So the question you're asking is throughout your career in this data world, what are some little hacks that you've picked up along the way that have helped make your life a little bit easier? Is that kind of the question? Awesome. Uh, let's let's see. Uh, Ideally, do you want to start, Mark? Yeah, um, I would say this is hard because I know there's there's a lot. Um, first, I would say the so it's not really a hack, um, just a thing I would suggest to do. But um, if you are a standard data scientist, data analyst, and someone is coming to you with projects or problems they want you to solve, um, I'd say first, if you can, spend some time with them understanding where they're coming from before having a look at the data, before really um, working on it and trying to see if you are truly answering, uh, if they're asking the what they really need is the first step. Um, Because I think sometimes a lot of people don't know how to ask for what they need, um, being in other parts of the organization. And second, um, kind of in the same vein, I would ask why um, a lot. And like, you can go with the five whys, you can, um, whatever method works for you. I would empower you to feel comfortable challenging um, some of the assumptions they make and then understand that your modeling process is not necessarily um, handcuffed to their ask. So if they ask for something, and I think I might've talked about this before, uh, I've been asked to build a gender detector after understanding or uh, predict someone's gender based off a first name. So after understanding, okay, marketing just needs uh, direction on how to segment users. I turn that into let's create a customer segmentation problem based off their behavior. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would go with it's it's a lot of like the interpersonal skills and managing the expectations of people when they are working with data scientists and analysts. 
Yeah, absolutely love that. So I would say the biggest hack I've learned is not to just jump right towards offering a solution without first understanding the question and just assuming that I know exactly what needs to happen in order to make this thing work. And also, it's not really a hack, but just a subtle mindset shift is just because I know about data science methodology doesn't mean that because I know, because the model says it should be this, that that is actually right. That actually intuition and business sense has a huge role in anything that you're building. So without operating in that kind of context of what's the business situation, what does the stakeholder know? How could I develop something that's going to make their life easier? Um, that subtle mindset, mindset shift has been huge because once upon a time, I'd just be like, oh, data, man, I, I the data says this, this must be right. Why are you, why are you going off intuition when the data says this? Like, no, like that, that, uh, that was a, a mindset shift. Uh, Mark, what about you? You, you both of you all stole the words right out of my mouth. Um, learning how to ask good questions before you even start coding or even looking at the data will save you so much heartache and headaches um, early on. Uh, a lot of my, uh, I'm still new to this this field, but when I was new, 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 uh, a lot of my early mistakes were just jumping straight in and trying to build exactly what they asked. And like I, bet I spent all this time and I would give it to them like, oh, actually, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> and I'll be frustrated because like, this is what you ask. And, and honestly, that was on me for not not picking up the right requirements. And so for me, uh, kind of like a mental hack was like shifting my perspective from trying to deliver as a data scientist to being like, I am a startup within this org delivering products. Um, and so I need to figure out requirements. Like what am I, what am I getting? What am I building? Um, but even on the other end, is like making sure when I deliver a product, people understand it. So being able to communicate, like, for example, I have this, uh, uh, what's a good example for my job? Um, NLP model uh, that uh, I didn't even build the model. I use an existing model, but create a pipeline for it. Um, when you say NLP, like that's a fancy buzzword, but like people who are actually using it and like actually like customer success or, or sales selling this product to our customers, um, they don't know what NLP means. And so I have to figure out how to communicate that in like plain English, what it is and what's the business problem it's solving. And that's all part of the handoff on the other end. Um, and then for like a hack, hack, hack kind of thing, uh, Google Sheets are my best friend um, because like I can ask great questions, but like once I show them like, hey, this is how I interpret it, just spending five minutes to hack together a quick table, like this is the output you expected or even like paint, right? And I show that to them, they can quickly say like, oh, that's correct. Or, oh, that component, please change it. And I just saved myself hours of coding. And for something also more along the technical lines, I would say adopting a framework for all of my projects, something like cookie cutter data science or Kedro. More recently, it's been Kedro since uh, that's a bit newer, but adopting kind of a principled workflow has made life a lot easier. And along with asking that good question, really clearly defining an analysis plan for myself so I just don't continue going down the rabbit hole and you know not setting up guardrails um, for myself and also making good use of extensions in a good IDE like VS Code, having like a linter in place and just finding useful extensions in VS Code to help make my life a little bit easier. So if, if you want like some more tangible kind of technical hacks, that's that's what I've kind of picked up over the, uh, over the last couple of years. Jill, I see that you are unmuted. Oh, um, that's not intentional. Oh, I thought you had a question or comment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, sorry no. about that. I just, um, I just got on... Um, 
And yeah, no, no worries. If you got a question, definitely uh, let us know. But Tor, if you want to share some hacks that you've picked up along the way in your career. Just in general on how to improve my own workday, lots. I, I think the key, as mentioned earlier, is like how to to really understand the results. I mean, it's or what people are looking for. That's key. Um, and understanding what they're looking for. Sometimes people, like Odell said, is that they come and ask and say, we want this. But at the end of the day, by the time you really talk to them and to understand, it's not what they're asking. What they're asking for is not what they're actually looking for. So you have to really try and understand, and that is key. The other thing is don't jump to conclusions. That is a mistake that I made tons and tons. I have my pre-opinion. I'm already concluded. I know exactly I'm always right. Um, but, you know, jumping to conclusions, that's normally where I've made a lot of mistakes. I talk to someone, I think I understand, I conclude, and then I make, and then you deliver, and nobody is happy. Um, there's also been complications and consequences, and, uh, well, that's life. What can you do? So, But the other thing also is, like, explaining people what you're doing. I mean, when I'm listening to you guys for data analytics, I mean, I'm doing data analytics constantly. I'm analyzing my own data. I'm developing a budget tool now for a SaaS project, and, you know, with projections and what-if situations, if I have more users, less users, renewable users, and all of these things. Things. Um, to me, the, the key is really to, uh, to, to, to just really start in an end where you are uh, or at the beginning and then learn as you go, but not conclude. That, that is the key. That there's no way around it. Don't make conclusions. <laughs> I think that's it. Asha, was that, was that some good tips for you or is there anything else that you wanted to, to dig in on from those responses? Um, no, that that's pretty much it. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, great questions so far, man. I really, really enjoyed these uh, questions you guys coming up with. So let's uh, turn it over to either uh, Jill, Mark, Ashit, if you guys have questions. Oh, um, oh go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, so I jumped in late and I didn't hear the original question, um, but it sounded like it was, uh, you know, like hacks and just like techniques yeah. or um and the answers that I heard, it sounded like, you know, what is what is the goal for uh, the the project? But just like on a, on a smaller scale for like when trying to solve a problem and it's hard to um, uh, I just I, I found if I if I'm trying to solve a problem and I don't know, um, you know, like what algorithm I need or what I need to do that just writing out like what I want in words brings so much clarity for like understanding what I'm supposed to do. Sorry. I don't know if that was um, what the question was about. Yeah. I see uh, Mark pulled out. Was that a dingbats notebook? Cause that's the, uh, Oh no, it's a, uh, yeah. Like, so writing stuff out, man, that is super helpful. I've got like no fewer than like five notebooks sitting around that I, that I write with and it just helps you think so much more clearly like diagramming stuff out. Yeah. That's, that's a huge key. I don't, I don't think this younger generation spends enough time writing. Y'all need to start writing more. Yeah. Mark, if you got a question or, or anything, if anybody has a question, go for it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just really curious, especially for those who have put models in production, um, I'm in a unique position where I'm one of the first few data scientists at my company. So I'm getting to chart the territory and define like, what does data science look like at our company, which is really exciting, but also like overwhelming. And so 
we're not doing ML right now. And that's very intentional because we, we need to build products and get more data features to actually enable that. But now we're starting to think, okay, that's the future. We want to start building infrastructure today <laughs> to get these data features to enable us to actually do those more advanced analytics in the future. So we're not at the same point when we actually want to start. And so my question is, you know, looking back to when you're kind of now you're building a model, now you're trying to put into production, what were the hangups that that you came across where you felt like if you uh, tackled this early on, or maybe more so had a, a clear mindset when you first built this infrastructure, uh, would make your life significantly easier. Writing modular code that can easily be, you know, cleaned and replaced and just have not spaghetti code. I think that's like the biggest thing I would advise is writing your code in such a way that you're not just like, like ideally you don't want to be in a position where you just build the entire pipeline in a Jupyter notebook and then you have to copy and paste everything back into Py files, right? Starting starting from developing pipelines right from the get-go, I think has been helpful. I'm not sure if that's answering your question, but that's like the biggest thing I, I've done to help make it easier to deploy models. Yeah. Even going a step before that is like, we're not even worried on the pipelines. It's like data creation and data storage. Mm -hmm. That's where we're currently at. And to kind of give context, like we, the, the web app uses NoSQL, very nested data. And also when we build a new feature, it's like, hey, we need to get this out to a customer. And it's not thinking about the overall picture of like where it's fit into like a data story or like a data, like what metrics we want. And so like even before building the pipelines, uh, even more foundational to that, do you have a sense? Oh man, so like just trying to think about what data we should actually collect because we can collect so much. Which one do we actually need to help inform our decisions? Is that that type of question? Ah. <sighs> It's, um, it's still a raw thought, so I don't have a, yeah, yeah. a clear, clear well, question yet. I, I think I'm it's working, in between that. <laughs> yeah, I was working. I'm like, I was showing these books earlier because I'm working through something similar myself. And I'm pretty sure at, at the end of this thing that I'm doing at work, I'll have many lessons learned to share with you, but building out like a data strategy. Like, so like, you know, modern data strategy has been an excellent book. So I highly recommend okay. this one. Um, cool. And this is all just about, you know, data management, like everything mm -hmm. from metadata management, where you have data about the data to data governance and um, all those other quote unquote buzzwords related to, to the data management sphere. But I'll give, I'm rambling a little bit, so I'll give Ayodele the, uh, the floor. She probably has more better insights than I do. It's funny. I was actually going to pretty much just double down on everything you said. Um, that is such a difficult stage to be at. And especially when... It's growing pains and it really is. Um, honestly, I can't think of anything specific outside of what Harpreet already mentioned really to um, ease that process right now. <laughs> um, I would also, I, I'm trying to see if I have a book on my bookshelf that is helpful. Um but I may have a, I may have a rec recommendation coming in the chat soon, but I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Yeah. So and then to give further context as well, like a current project that's like really tied to this is like, I'm currently exploring how to restructure a data warehouse and build out ELT pipelines um, to enable us to actually do analytics faster. Right. Um, and discover our data quicker. So that's like kind of the core component of where I'm currently at right now. So you're doing some proper like data architecture type of stuff. Data yeah. Data for you, uh, when you say discover data through a pipe, how do you do that? I mean, like, how does that work? Like, uh, how do you discover data that, that you don't know exists in the company? I guess I, I, I'm kind of curious about that. 
Yeah. So essentially, like at the end of the day, we're a startup. We're building a plane as we fly it. And so, um, you know, as our product matures and we try to get that product market fit, like what's the correct approach? We may shift and our product may shift and our data therefore shifts as well, what logs we have. And so before we may have had assumption like these are separate product lines, but now we might be shifting to like, actually, we need to combine this into a platform. And so now we have separate data sources that weren't initially thought to be combined, right? And so now when it comes to the, the data warehouse, how do you combine these data sources wow. that were originally designed to be separate? Um, and now that's like where our product is shifting, right? And so, so like the data's there, but like, you know, um, engineers or like myself who can actually go and like write Python scripts to pull the data, like we can do that, but that's a lot of work if you want to answer like how many users did XYZ for both of these products? That should be a simple question you should ask. So the data discovery of that is really hard. I have to write some crazy SQL queries just to answer that. So have you oh, okay. looked into like um, dimensional modeling techniques, like the Kimball dimensional modeling type of... Uh techniques at all i have not and that's a nice keyword for me to look up yeah so um, that's part all of, part of the process right now yeah, are you part of the slack community at all you might be i'm not i need to figure right. out how to how to get connected to that i'm going to try to figure that out yeah it's uh I'll, I'll slap a link in there but i have a pirated copy of the book in the slack community <laughs> uh but it's uh the kimball's dimensional modeling um and it, it, maybe i can pull it up and just kind of give you a um a, a idea of what he talks about in there, but it sounds exactly like kind of the stuff you're, uh, you're dealing with because you're going from how do we take all this raw transactional data and then move it into a data warehouse so that it's aggregated in a smart way. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'll share my screen. Oh, I can't share my screen. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get this book to you somehow, some way. Um, I, cool. I'll look that up in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah, and my, my job's been super supportive. So like, as you get the book name, my, my job would be like, here, whatever resources you need, we'll yeah. buy it for you and, and make sure you build something for us to make it work. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, the Data Warehouse Toolkit. It's the Definitive Guide <laughs> to Dimensional Modeling and it's by Ralph Kimball. Cool. Yeah. Tor, I see uh, you got some insights here. Yeah, uh, I'm referring to my ongoing project. I am in the same dilemma right now uh, where I'm basically developing a structure the, the tools to assist people like myself jv auditors in the industry to streamline a work process and right now i've launched what three projects or three products and but overall they all have to fit into each other meaning that when i designed this over time by experience and then started drawing these things the things that I always ask myself, is there any restrictions or limitations in what I am doing? Right. So in other words, when you are creating a table or you're summarizing something, you have a pipeline, you have uh, uh, tools or you're uh, creating the uh, programming language, all of these, I always ask myself, what are the limitations in this model? What are And when I normally start my analysis process on these things, I normally go very broad. I start very broad. I look at all the potential mistakes, all the problems that I can think, and then I start narrowing it down. And there's two things you achieve. Like one, when you go to in the meeting where you have these discussions about all the potential Real quick, problems. Tor, your uh, your audio is cutting out. If you want to hold your, there you go. Sorry, better now. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, that means that when you have a meeting with yourself or with the team or whatever, and you talk about all the outliers of all the problems you have and potential. 
Okay, so you bring it down and narrow it in to the actual action you're going to make on this particular time. The next time, two years from now or two weeks from now, somehow those discussions sits in the back of your mind. So it gets easier when you're dealing with new things. So this is how I approach it. And with all the tools that I'm developing now, I have to make sure that I don't build in any limitations, any restrictions. And if there are limitations and restrictions, I make sure I have a note of that. And I do a lot of this discussion with my developer because he's anything can be done. That's not a problem. But I am really afraid that if I do something, that it's not going to work in the future. So always on my mind. But that's my recommendation. Think about limitations and restrictions before you start something. Mm. Always some sage advice from Tor. Thank you very much. Uh, anything to add here, Adeli? Yeah, yeah. I think I think looking at dimensional modeling and taking into consideration all the other advice might be super helpful at at this stage. So let's. Uh, any follow up questions to that, Mark? Um, no, that that was super super helpful. Um, it's just like I'm I'm trying to make my life six months, one month, or one year out significantly easier. So when I I do start doing more ML stuff, I'm not pulling my hair out. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. I'm going through. Very, very similar things right now. So let's see if there's a, we'll, we got time for maybe a couple more questions. So if uh, either Jill or it looks like Asha has a question, if you want to go for it. Should I go first? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my main question is when you're coming into a company, when you're fresh, that's for lack of a better word, it's evening, my time, my brain is closing down. So when you're given a job, sometimes it's, there's an easier way to do it. You can quite easily do it with something easier. But when you come in, a lot of the times you're trying to prove, to, you prove yourself. You're trying to show that, yeah, I know this. Then you start doing something that could be done way easier. You start doing something way harder for something that could have been done with maybe Excel, let's say. How do you deal with proving yourself once you're in a new company without having to... Because I've come to realize once you start making it a bit more complicated, then you'll have to explain it. Then it just goes round. It's a never ending thing. I take an opposite approach to that. Instead of trying to show off how much I know about something, I just start by talking about how little I know about everything and that I need you guys to fill me in on some context in order for me to start making something that'll make your life a little bit easier. So I take the opposite approach. Like I'm completely okay with sounding stupid at work and asking dumb questions because it's those dumb questions that will set me up for future success. And that's also just kind of shows a little bit of humbleness, right? Like I never ever want to feel like I have to prove anything to anyone. Um, I just want to feel like I'm doing things that are helpful. So I, that's kind of my philosophy on that. Ideally, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, it can be really hard and it feels like you need to prove yourself in that way. Um, I would say try and just communicate your work really well. I think that A, it will um, help you build relationships with people you're working with and stakeholders. Um, but a lot of times we tend to, to do some of this analytics work in a silo. Um, and at my old company, I actually had a framework for communicating my work because um, I was used to running into problems. And so I would have a new request and they'd say, cool, we want a working model by the end of the week. Um, so it would be midweek, late week, and I'd have um, an email if I couldn't schedule a meeting and really try and sit down and walk people who aren't technical through um, some of the things that were difficult. So I started with this method. I was challenged here. I had to work with this team to get access to this data. I went back to it and I was challenged here. 
But at the end, I have this report for you. I think that sets the stage and they can have a better understanding of, oh, it didn't just take you five minutes of work to create this report, but you um, focusing on the ways that you are able to communicate uh, what you're doing, it, it, it will be helpful for you so that it's easy for them to see it as well. It does go um, easily unseen. And especially now that um, we're all remote, it, you, it's not as visible as a lot of other uh, kinds of work. And Mark put in the chat right here, this book, The First 90 Days, that book is absolutely amazing. I used that when I started um, this current job that I'm at, at Price and followed that framework literally for the first 90 days. And it set me up so nicely for success and building trust with my boss. I highly recommend that book. And most of that, most of what that book is saying is in the first 90 days, like you're going to be asking a lot of questions. And those questions are specifically around what, you know, know, setting expectations. Um, But yeah, that book is, is super, super amazing. Mark, do you want to add some commentary around that and how you've used that? Yeah. um, Specifically, uh, something within the first 90 days is called the STARS model. Um, And essentially it's like for a company, there's different stages or within even department, there's different stages within it. And given the stage, um, that is something where you should, uh, there's certain like tactics that best approach that. And so um, example is like, if it's, I'm, I'm forgetting the acronym, I posted it in there, but like, if it's like a dumpster fire and you're like an expert and they're bringing you in to, to fix it, right? They're going to be super open to you, like suggesting whatever to try to like solve this issue. So you're going to have more leeway just to jump in and take action. But say, for instance, um, I think the term is called turnaround, um, not turnaround. Um, I'm blanking on the, on the acronym. But say, for instance, like you're coming in and you see it's a problem, but it's not a problem right now. <laughs> and so the things are working right now, but in the future, it might be an issue. If you come in and the first 90 days, you jump in like, this is what we should do, X, Y, Z, right? Everyone's going to be be angry. They're going to be like, we've always done this way. Like, what do you know, right? And so instead, you, to tackle that problem, you need to build trust and rapport and a lot of credibility before you even make a suggestion. Specifically, the problem I'm working on right now, the data architecture, when I came in from a mile away, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a headache as a data scientist. This is an issue that needs to be resolved. But after talking to a whole bunch of people, I knew that like there was a lot of politics and like embeddedness and not, not in a bad way, it's always politics, more so like conflicting needs, right? Um, and I knew before I even tackle that problem and bring it up, I need to build up a whole bunch of rapport. Um, so I waited like six, seven months before I even went to my manager. Like, look, this is an issue. And these are the people I talk to. This is what I want to work on. So highly, highly recommend the, the STARS model. And then going back to your original question, like a hack that I use, um, the first kind of meetings I do um, when I get a new job, I don't even talk to technical people. I go straight to customer success, customer success and sales because they're the closest to the customer. And I just pick their brains because they know what their customer's pain points are. And that gives me a really good overlay of kind of the problems that I'll be seeing in the future. Yeah, just to add uh, to Mark's thing, like right now I'm working on a project related to customer complaint database. And I, I purposely chose that project because one, it's close to the customer. Second, that's where the revenue is coming. Customer equals money. So yeah, and and trying to get those data. And they have this database sitting there quietly. Nothing's happening to it. It's just information uh, storage. storage. And boy, I, I can tell that last week I, I spoke about this very briefly with Thor and Harpy and everybody else. And, and as I was cleaning it, I could see a lot of problems 
things in the database where you know think the shipping part of things is the shipping the shipment is where the problem is and I can already see it and they don't know anything about it so that's why I was trying to build a case try to get a data uh, project going for for the company that I work for so hopefully you know when I once I showcase that uh, you know and I highlighted to them say oh wow they're spending a lot of money shipping spending a lot of money paying the customers for a shipment that they don't need to pay for and things like that and and anything that saves money for the company or creates money for the company is it is big it's big for the it's big for the ceo <laughs> so everything boils down to revenue so if you see a pain point i'd say go tackle it and i know in the beginning no one is going to believe you but if you create a case and maybe show them uh take a tiny tiny project based on all the mentoring that i received on friday and and on the sunday calls just pick a tiny project and see the value that comes out of it uh, it's huge that that way you can definitely win them over to you and they begin to trust you but yeah and, and i agree you need to understand the business first the company's uh mission to see what what they are after and what they want to do i think that's key understanding the customer and your and the and the business i'm looking at this notebook that I, it's my notebook for for my work i started my current job october 21st 2019 and these are notes coming from the 24th of october and these are just things that i wanted to talk to my boss about at the end of my first week and to, to kind of help you get a sense of the type of stuff you want to talk about right so if, I was trying to identify the biggest challenges that the company is facing or will face in the near future. Why are we facing those challenges? What are the most promising unexploited opportunities for growth in these areas? And then in a meeting together, like I made him work through with me for a particular project that they had hired me for was a diagnosis of the situation. And then I had to demonstrate that I was understanding the key priorities for this particular situation and then trying to quantify and articulate what a win is going to look like for this project. So we have clarity and alignment on that um, and then set up a plan. All right, every week, this is what we're going to do. This is this is our meeting frequency. These are things that we're going to discuss um, and yeah, things like that. So that's you know all within the first week of, of working there and uh, actually have the uh, stars model written here in my notes it is a uh, uh, startup turnaround realignment accelerating growth or sustaining success yeah so good stuff man um so hopefully that was helpful all right so we got time for a few more questions maybe like two more questions i'll turn it out there's people who've been waiting for a long time we got ashit and jill i'll give you guys first priority on the questions so go for it i know deepesh and nizreen had joined but um we might not get your questions so we'll see how this goes uh, either ashit or jill can take the floor uh, i have no questions i um whenever i'm on i just always end up hearing something i needed to hear so thanks everyone well, I hope you heard something today uh, ashit I go did. for it um, even i don't have any question right now Awesome, cool. So that, that leaves it open for Deepesh or Nazarene. If you guys wanted to uh, just unmute yourself and go for it. Hi everyone, this is Deepesh. Hi, how's it going, Deepesh? How can we help you? Yes, uh, it's going well. Uh, so yeah, I don't have any question as such, but uh, just wanted to you know get a, get some perspective around uh, say when we go about executing any data science project, which is intended to you know support the business through some insight, right? So if anyone could has any experience or could share some perspective around. how does those insights actually you know translate at the implementation level so say if this um uh, you know a novel perspective that comes out of an analysis right so from that point onwards how does that insight actually 
go through the different phases say if it goes to the from the decision making phase to the implementation if you know someone has some visibility around a project which they would have you know in which they would have given some insight and they were actually witnessed the impact or the change that you know that insight would have created So yes, Adele, you want to take this one? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, at least in my experience, when I found something interesting, like in a data set, I've been able to communicate that upwards. So typically to my manager, typically to their manager, and then to stakeholders who are making decisions. Um, a lot of times, they what we have found um, doesn't really actually change the course of or direction of our organization, but sometimes it does, and in those cases. Um, Um, the stakeholders is typically asked for a little bit more detail or a more granular level of detail. For example, if um, we're trying to predict like app downloads, they might want to see this on a weekly or a daily basis. Um, so the first kind of step, at least in my experience, is they want to drill down even further. Um, the next kind of step is really um, trying to decide what changes that we can make organizationally impact this. Um, so if we want to have more app downloads, do we change our actual um, app icon or do we change our description? Do we have different screenshots? Um, those are the things that they, other teams have, in my experience, uh, been able to talk through and then go across, uh, work across different departments to implement. So asking things from design and then finally having um, made these changes, I'm typically asked to then track how significant they are or if they matter at all. So um, from, from my experience, that's kind of how been how that process works. So I hope that kind of answers your question. Mark, anything to add here? Yeah, this, this is coming from a startup perspective where we're trying to build out our, our sales pipeline heavily. Um, go talk to sales because um, they'll give you key insights of what analytics would help them um, significantly. So like um, one of our OKRs for, uh, for our data science teams to provide 20 sales factoids from our data to help sell, enable sales to, to sell harder. Um, and specifically, well, I'll go talk to sales and be like, hey, you know, you've had a few meetings with customers, like, where are the hangups? Like, um, you know, the customer is saying like, hey, how do you know your, your, your product is working in this way? Or how do you know um, people will engage in this way? Right. And so that's kind of more so like this, this question building of like, where are some key insights? Um, if the data doesn't say it, the data doesn't say it, but many times you have so much data, you don't know what to ask. And so um, using that as a kind of a barometer of like, what are some high priority questions to, to answer? And so instead of saying like, I have this data, what's the value um, this data can give? I kind of flip and reverse it. Like what's the value that my customer, which is the sales team needs and how can I deliver that value with this data assets I have? Um, And sometimes uh, even saying like, no, that's not happening, right? It's very helpful because then the sales team can better redirect to a, a better kind of fit, right? So um, so I, I love Taurus comment. Every job is a sales job, 100%. <laughs> yeah, if you get an opportunity to pick up the book To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink, uh, that book is amazing. 
Uh, it helps you really realize how important sales is. And you got to measure what matters, man. Objectives and key results. Like this is uh, one of the books I have at hand. Um, it's a great, great recommendation. So hopefully that that answered your question there, Deepesh. Uh, yes, sir. Sure. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 uh, you know, uh, I just had one follow-up question. It's more in around, uh, you know, uh, I haven't been into the application phase of uh, uh, applying to any data science job, but this is a new territory which I have you know, started stepping into from from an analytical perspective. So. Uh, if you know some, uh, if you, if someone can give some, you know, a perspective around how and you know how much emphasis do the recruiters in the data science uh, arena have on the, you know, impact of your project instead of the process that you would have followed. So say if I did some project at my firm, or if it's like a pet project, but if it didn't have any impact, so does that mean that am I at a disadvantage because I can't show the results that? you know, my project would have created in the firm. I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, as long as you learn something through the process, right? Like we all have projects that don't get implemented. I've done a ton of stuff that just didn't get deployed or implemented um, for whatever reasons that ended up not delivering, you know, value, but we learned something in the process. Right. So that's like, I don't, I don't think that necessarily puts you at a disadvantage. What do you think, Adeli? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think what we often see is people who are more experienced have maybe we have 80% projects that don't get implemented and the 20% is what you see on the resume. Um, so it looks like every single work um, is being implemented or actually moves the needle. But I think when we're being realistic, we know that's not um, always the case. There's a lot of data work that, um, doesn't have a business impact. So I I don't think um, from a recruiter, um, they have maybe enough insight to really have that be a disadvantage for you. Hopefully that was insightful. Mark, do you have anything to add there? Um, this is coming from the other end. So like, I think last August, uh, June-ish, I was laid off and went through this whole <laughs> applying to data science uh, process again. I actually really enjoyed it. It was really fun. I learned a lot. Um and I think the biggest thing is like, if you just only rely on your resume, I think you're going to lose many times. Um, if anything, the I took a different approach and this is coming from a very US centric approach. So I don't know how applicable it is to other other arenas for other people listening on, on this, but um, you know, the, the best way is for me to get in front of those, the hiring manager or the recruiter and specifically ask what are your pain points, what are you trying to solve with this data? Um, because like, maybe my project didn't get implemented, but I have this skill set to solve their problem. And so the emphasis isn't necessarily on how my project worked or not. It's more so on how my project built this skill set to enable me to solve their problem and drive value for them. And to, to uh, add to that, like if you don't have work experience doing data science projects at work, I think having personal pet projects can make up for that as long as you're doing, you know, a good project that is well executed, well thought out and high quality work. It could definitely serve as a virtual internship of sorts. So you don't necessarily need to have a huge impact in terms of dollars and cents from those personal projects, but you can demonstrate that you are able to go from data to decisions in a principled fashion with well-written code. So hopefully that was helpful. Deepesh, any other sure. last yeah. Yeah. any other last minute questions yeah, for you? Thanks, everyone. Yeah, no problem. All right, cool. So I'm gonna drop a link in the chat right here. This is a link to register for the DS Go conference. 
which Iodeli and myself will be a part of. I'll be hosting a panel discussion along with Iodeli, Vin Vashista, and a couple of other really, really awesome people. Go ahead and register for that. I believe we are on deck for April 11th. And that's happening early in the morning for us, April 11th. And then immediately after that, we'll be having our office hour session, I believe, right? Uh, so that'll be a... A fun day so definitely go register for that also guys that'll be included in the show notes for everybody listening as well also don't forget to vote for the data community content creators award you guys we need your help making this a big event we can't do it without you guys it'll be awesome it'll be a lot of fun um any anything else to add Iodeli, before we call it a uh, a day no i don't think so i think we uh we covered a lot we covered a good bit of uh a range of questions today yeah, I really, really enjoyed today's question, guys. So keep an eye out for this episode. It will be released, um, I believe, on Thursday. When we clean everything up, transcribe it, we'll get it out there for you guys. Uh, it'll be available on the podcast on YouTube. Thank you guys for hanging out. Take care. Have a good rest of your weekend. And remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everybody. Bye.